You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. So today, we've been going through this series this month, and uh, we've called it Confessions of a Cynical Christian, and uh, I hope you've uh, really grown and, and been challenged to this, and we've been talking about these cynical perspectives we might have toward faith, toward Jesus, toward church. And uh, today, we wanna talk about one of those, uh, which is that God, God is selfish. Um, we've talked about how it's all fake a couple weeks ago, and last week, uh, we, we uh, dove into uh, the importance of, of looking at not just how uh, we look at faith, but how we live it out, and today, uh, we're going to talk about how God is selfish. Now, when I was a, when I was a kid, um, my grandfather, who's my dad's dad, uh, he lived with us for a few years, and uh, Pappy Pole is what we called him, and Pappy Pole was born in 1901, uh, which is a long time ago. And uh, when he lived with us, uh, he was in his uh, early 90s, so it was ni- 1990, 1991, 1992, that time. And uh, one of the things we did while he was living there, we had this thought, like, let's record his life, because he's lived through so much. So we didn't pull out, like, our MP3 player or our iPhone, because those didn't exist. We pulled out a cassette recorder. That tells you how long ago this was. And um, I was, like, six months old, probably, you know, early 90s, um, <laughs> something like that, uh, or maybe a little bit older than that. But we sat there with a cassette recorder and, and had him share kind of his life story. And when you think about it, all that he experienced was just remarkable. He reflected on all the advances he'd seen. It was fascinating to hear firsthand experience of his, uh, the early use of electricity in the home, the introduction of automobiles, even the development of, of television. And uh, when, when you really think about it, the last 100 years have been pretty amazing. Like the things that have happened, the advances that have taken place. You know, things that are really good, like the development of antibiotics or the internet, most thankfully the widespread use of indoor plumbing. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, but, but then there are some other developments that have happened that, uh, that are important to at least take note of, to recognize that happened in our society. We live in a more divided world than we've ever lived uh, we live in an increasingly cynical world where we're cynical of so much. And we live in a world where there is really no place that is uh, considered reverent anymore. So today we're not just here to be those old men reflecting on the good old days, though we, you, we were old enough to use cassette tapes. So, so it's what's starting to feel like that. I know, I remember um, how to rewind them with my uh, pencil. Right, yeah. And anyway, right. we'll go into that. Yeah. Um, we weren't fancy enough to have like the auto no. rewind. No. That was for rich people. Yes. Um, so we're not, <laughs> anyhow, we're not here to do that. But rather as we close uh, the series this month that we've called Confessions of a Cynical Christian, we're looking at a cynical view that can be influenced by some of these shifts that's in our culture that's more cynical. It's the idea that God is selfish. So in other words, why should my reverence, respect, and especially adoration be demanded of me by God. From a cynical human perspective, it could seem incredibly selfish and the opposite of the humility that God demands from us. Many of the songs that we sing in church 
uh, you know, churches like we, we sang this morning, churches all over the world are singing today, verses from scripture that are being read in churches all over the world today. Uh, many many of that, those convey that God is supposed to be worthy of our worship, our attention, and our praise. And, uh, you know, maybe you've some, wondered something like this before. It's okay if you have. Why is God so obsessed with us singing songs about him? Do we have to do that? Uh, you know, I've grown up in a church, so it's normal for me. And, you know, for many of you, maybe you've been around church, so it's just kind of the normal church thing. But, you know, if you're not used to a church environment, it can be a little weird, you know? Um, and after all, aren't Christians called to humility and selflessness? So why would God call us to be humble and to be selfless, but then he asks us to worship and adore him all the time? So it's, it could seem a little backwards, like God's like an egomaniac looking for more attention and more accolades. You know, even as a, even as a father, I don't like ask my kids to praise me all the time. I'm pretty sure they would get uh, tired of that. Um, and, you know, as we were talking about this, it kind of made me think of a quote from uh, a slightly wise boss who revolutionized the paper industry, Michael Scott, when he said, do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked, but it's not like this compulsive need to be liked, like my need to be praised. Does God have a compulsive need to be praised? And we read verses like in Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord and the splendor of his holiness. And it makes you wonder what that's all about. Why should I sing about, let alone worship, an unseen creator that calls us to one thing, he calls us to humility, but then he de seemingly demands the opposite for himself, worship and praise. So the question is like, is God really that of self-absorbed and selfish that he demands that we worship him? Uh, well, if you, if you peruse kind of your way through the Bible, you'll see that we are consistently invited to praise him. In fact, every instance of the word hallelujah is an invitation to give him worship. Hallelujah is this Hebrew phrase that means praise Yahweh and Yahweh is the sacred name for God. So what's the deal with this challenge to worship God? <clears throat> well, well, first, worship is not unique to God or even to religion or our practice of religion. Uh, although we often use the term in a religious context, worship is actually the most natural thing humans do, religious or otherwise, or any area. <clears throat> it's really hardwired into our very DNA as human beings. Uh, just look at how people respond at concerts, at Steeler games, or red carpet events, uh, people go to extraordinary lengths to celebrate those they admire, from cheering to chanting to clapping, like we do all of those things. Uh, and and uh, from our bank accounts to our reputation, even our level of position or influence, these can all easily become objects of obsession for us. And, and in that case, we actually worship them. We worship these things. Uh, so when God asks us to worship, he isn't asking us to do something that is unnatural to us, Instead, he's asking us to redirect that focus onto him. So with this perspective, uh, let's explore what worship of God, the worship of God that we're called to, what is this all about? Why is it not only acceptable, but it's healthy and it's good? So one of the first things to look at is that the Bible simply, uh, doesn't simply state that God calls us to worship him, but it says that he is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, worthy of our adoration. In a, in a world that we, we are in today where irreverence towards special things and cynicism towards revered things is far more natural 
It's far more normal than not. It seems out of place because in our modern society, it's kind of like we've moved on from that. In fact, if we read verses like in, in Revelation 4, in this picture of heaven, it says, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So you could think, okay, God is this powerful, big creator. He created everything, and he, he should get some accolades for that, right? But why does God deserve my worship and so much of it? To correctly think about God's call to worship, we have to keep his worthiness in mind. And it may, it may help to understand that the word worship, the English word that we have worship, actually comes from worth-ship. The idea here is that any object of worship has to be worthy of our worship. And this is the resounding message in the Bible from beginning to end. If, if the Bible is true and God really does command us to worship, then it's also true that God is worthy of our worship. Meaning that just as we would celebrate a Grammy-winning Grammy winning artist or a musical artist that we love or a sport athlete that we love, God is a masterful creator and he's done such magnificent, magnificent things that he is, not, he is worthy of not just celebration but worship for it. In a recent interview in Relevant, uh, magazine. There's a musical artist and a worship leader, Micah Lang, that put it this way. When we understand the greatness of God, the stability of his character, the perfection of his justice, the depth of his grace, the limitless nature of his love, the wonder of his holiness, and the sacrifice of his son, it should not be difficult for us to be moved greatly in our desire to worship God and worship him passionately. So praising God, then, is far more appropriate than our celebration of our favorite athletes, our favorite artists, our favorite actors, because the things that God has accomplished weren't something that impacted just a little bit of time or even one generation or, or, or just even a, a big time in human history, but has literally transformed the whole entire world. And, you know, another thing to think about beyond that is about worship is the context in which worship uh, is talked about. As we've discussed, we, we see these commands, these encouragements to worship throughout the book, this book we call the Bible. And regardless of your thoughts of the validity you place on the Bible, it's important to understand its themes and the heart behind its commands. You know, sometimes we think that the Ten Commandments or the commands of Scripture are just like God throwing these things at us to make life difficult. But there's a heart, there's a theme, there, there are threads throughout scripture. And one of the consistent themes throughout the Bible uh, that it, that it uh, contains is ultimately that it's for our good and for God's glory. Like everything that you read in the Bible is ultimately for our good and God's glory. And, and, and the call to worship should be understand like any other command that we see in scripture that it's ultimately for our good. We could say that throughout the Bible, the core of human flourishing is uh, shown as a worshipful life in the presence of God. That, that this is one of the core components, the, the contributing factors to a flourishing life. Beyond that, in the stories we read of real people contained within the scope of Scripture, worship often produces in these people uh, blessing, it provides guidance, produces deliverance, and especially creates joy. And, and if all of that is true for us today as well, why wouldn't a good God repeatedly invite us to direct our adoration toward him that it could produce those things in our lives? 
And this is the tension that this call to worship can produce in us. Is this a requirement of a, of a selfish God or is this a response? In other words, is our worship being required and demanded by an overpowering, big-headed God or is it something we do as a response to an encounter or an experience that has changed us? And, and I can understand how what you read about scripture, maybe at a surface level, uh, might make you think it's a demand or a requirement. But, but I wanna tell you, it's meant to be a response. And, and here's a simple thought for you today. That worship is not the requirement of a selfish God, but the response to an awe-inspiring creator. If we think of a requirement, a requirement is something that we follow through with out of obligation, and usually is, there might be consequences attached to that. But our worship as a response is a right reaction that's inspired by God, who is not only worthy of it, but he's also made it desirable and good for us. You see, God doesn't simply ask us to worship him, but he calls us to open our hearts so that we might receive him with gladness. We see this in Jeremiah uh, 32, uh, verse 39 through 40, where God says, I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me. And that fear means to revere, to respect and to honor him, not, not just being afraid so that they will never turn away from me. And this is something I've found true in, in my life and in, in others' lives, that you know, when we see in the Bible that we are called, the church is called to praise God or to worship God, there's a desire that then is in me, in us, that longs for what that produces, and so we gladly engage. And we do this not just because God has demanded it from us or he's manipulated me into it, but because God deposits and nurtures a divine desire within me, within us, as we put our trust in him. Because worship is not the requirement of a selfish God, but the response to an awe-inspiring creator. So, so as we uh, close here today, you know, if we're not careful, our response to an awe-inspiring God that we often refer to as worship can easily be, be confined to simply singing a song. Uh, it's just worship at church or us singing this right song. Uh, and, and, and this is what, what most people would define worship as. You sing these songs at church in a building like this. But our response to what God does in our life, to the rich relationships he calls us to and to the awe he often inspires should be so much more than just a song. Because if it's just a song, we're, we're not giving the awe. Uh, I don't know about you, but like me singing a song isn't that, uh, you know, incredible. <laughs> There's a different kind of awe <laughs> involved in that. It's more like an awe. <laughs> you set yourself up for that I one. Know. You were asking for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if, if that's all it is, though, like, man, come on. Um, but God calls us to more than that. In, in, in Paul's uh, letter to the Roman church, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul, and if, if, you, if you've never read the book of Romans, Paul in the book of Romans is really laying out for the Roman church the gospel and all that he taught. Uh, Rome was one of the few places that most believe he never visited. Like the Roman church, he didn't start. Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, Thessalonians, all of those letters he wrote were to people that he 
he uh, was their spiritual father almost. He helped start those churches. Well, the church in Rome, he didn't help start. So the, the, the letter to the, the church in Rome that we know is the book of Romans, he's writing some really foundational things. And in Romans chapter 12, verse one, he kind of lays out this idea of worship. To, to, to lay it out for us, but also for them. Like, this is why we worship, and this is what worship is all about. In other words, why do we uh, respond to an awe-inspiring creator? Why do we do that, and what does that even look like? And here's what he wrote. He said, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, I wanna pause there real quick, because uh, this might sound weird or odd, like, are we supposed to like lay ourselves on an altar and set ourselves on fire, or what does that mean? Um, you have to understand the context. This church, these believers were, were living in Rome. They were living in the Roman Empire, the center of the Roman Empire. And, and one of the practices of pagan religions at that time were human sacrifices. And, and, and that was not uh, out of the ordinary. Um, and, and, and he's saying, listen, you are to offer a human sacrifice. It's not your children, though, as w- w- would often be the case at that time. It's you. You are a living sacrifice. And you being a living, not a dead sacrifice, you being a living sacrifice is holy and pleasing to God. This, this is your true and proper worship. And and our worship isn't confined to a building like this. And it isn't simply confined to the songs we sing. It is meant to be embodied with the life that we ultimately live. So I think the challenge on this side of heaven is moving from moments of awe, we do feel awe of God, to worship with our whole life. Um, you know, there's that, that verse that we read about Revelation where there's a picture of heaven and they're singing, worthy, worthy is God. Um, you know, the, I think the angels have a little advantage over us because they're in heaven in God's presence and they're feeling that awe and following it all the time. You know, responding to awe, as we're talking about, could sound like it's something that you just are following what you feel like doing all the time. And the challenge here on earth is we're not in God's presence right there in awe all the time. So how do we follow this? Is it just following the the feeling? Is it that easy? Um, It isn't always moving to our whole life. Because after all, awe, you know, is a feeling that we have for many moments. I've experienced awe in many moments in my life that haven't necessarily changed it. One of, the, one of the biggest ones I can think of was an experience I had when I was 17. I got to take this amazing trip. Uh, I went to Alaska with my grandparents and my dad drove an RV from Seattle to Anchorage on the Alaskan highway. And this was with my grandparents and uh, it was a present for them paid for by my aunt, my Aunt Kathy. And I got to go along too. And it was amazing because we were driving through the wilderness of Canada and, and every time you'd look out the RV, you'd just be like, oh, wow, because it's like the most beautiful snow-capped mountain and you've ever seen. And then you look out, and it's a glacier. And then you look out, and it's the most beautiful sunset you've ever seen that lasts for five hours because of the way things are. And remember, that's one of the biggest moments in my life of just an experience of awe. But, and I'll remember that for most of my life, but it didn't necessarily change my life afterwards. Um, but then there's other moments of awe in my life that have changed my life and my life has lined up around that. When I was 17, or when I was 16, I got my first guitar (laughs) for a birthday present. And as I learned to play the guitar, I was in awe of that experience. I built parts of my life around that. I spend money on it. You can see 
all the, the, the gadgets and the guitar and everything, right? Like my life changes for that. My spending changed to, to line up and follow that awe. Um, and then when I was 20, I met a girl that I was in awe of. And then five years later, I watched as, as, as Jamie Weaver, my wife, walked down the aisle at Belmont Church in Nashville, Tennessee, watched in even more awe as she came down to marry me. You know, and, uh, and from there on out, every day of my life has been changed for the better as I've tried my best to line up my life with the vows that I promised in that moment of awe where, you, where I felt it. Uh, you know, I've also been blessed to hold two sons in my arms, in, in, in my sons in their first days here on the earth. And any parent knows that's just awe that's kind of beyond even describing. And, and you feel so much awe and so much thankfulness for the, the gifts that my two sons were. But then, of course, very soon you leave the hospital and you know that your life is going to change. You know that your life is gonna change, be based on that. But then on day 100, when you're waking up to a crying baby in the middle of the night, you don't really feel awe, do you? And maybe a different kind of awe. <laughs> uh, you may even have to remind yourself why you continue to give so much of your life. Even when you don't feel the awe of the first day in the hospital, you still know the truths that were behind it. The truth that your life is worth changing and giving and sacrificing within your relationship to your child as a parent. And this is why I think that God has given us the ability to start the process of worship through praise. It's just the start of the process, you know, and as the worship pastor, it'd be easy to me, like, that's my whole thing. Yeah, worship is the songs. But I think it's a, a practical way that God has given us to start that. Because as we speak praise with our mouth, and then as we're able to sing it together, that's a start of the worship process because we're not just standing in God's glory in awe all the time. We kind of have to remember, we have to, to, to feed that. And in scripture, uh, many in the Psalms, many different places in scripture, but especially in the Psalms, it talks about remembering who God is and who we are in relationship to him through our praise. In Psalm 77, verse 11 through 12, it says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty days, mighty deeds. So the songs of praise we sang this morning are a practical way for us to start the response of worship, but that should continue to flow throughout our lives. And you know, it doesn't always have to, to be just with a song, right? I think that can just be with, with verbal praise that God has given us. And I would like to, to just guide us in a time of doing that today. And I, I wanna do three things today. We are gonna just end with a short chorus singing together. But before we do that, I'd like us to, to, to take some time here to, to praise God for who he is first, then to praise God for who we are because of him, and then to take a moment to just open our hearts and let him speak today. Is there something in our life that now needs to line up? You know, that as we begin to worship through our praise, that our worship should flow through our life and listen to the Holy Spirit. And uh, as Josh here plays, I just wanna invite you to join me. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do this myself and, and I want you uh, right where you are to join me in doing this. And you may be someone that's like, all you can praise God for is being God. You can just say, you're God, that's it. You may be someone 
who knows all of the, the Hebrew names and you can speak that, go ahead and do that together. I just wanna take a moment. Let's just praise God for who he is today. God, we just, we praise you today. We lift you up that you are God, you are the creator of the earth. You are worthy of all of our praise. You are faithful, God. You are patient with us, God. You give us grace. You are gracious, you are merciful, God. We praise you, we lift you up today that you are you are God and no one else is. You are worthy of all of our praise today. We just thank you, God, for how you love us. We praise you today, God. I just in this moment, go ahead and let's take a moment to praise God for who we are in relationship to him, that because he is God and he is good, what does that mean for us? And again, you may only be able to know, like, do you love me, God? You may, may know truths of scripture. Just speak that out today. God, we just praise you and we thank you that you have adopted us as your children. You have adopted us as sons. We thank you, God, that through Jesus Christ that we can come near to you. We thank you, God, that you are transforming us and that you are making us new. You are making us like Jesus. We thank you, God, today that you hold us in your hands as sons and daughters. And then just with that in mind, today just I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pray and you can pray aloud or you can pray yourself and just take a moment to listen to the Holy Spirit that in light of that is there something in your life that needs to line up as you leave today and you go to this week to worship so that your life would be worship Father God we just we offer our lives to you we open up our hearts today that you would speak to us pray that you would speak to us of how we can live our lives in worship to you, not just with songs that we sing, but with the life that we live, God. We pray that you would speak to us today and through this week, God, that, that we would be willing to make changes in our lives, not out of fear, but out of trust of who you are, God. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us of how we can be the church together and worship you with our lives today. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.